Welcome to Schools on the Front Lines, a new podcast brought to you by EdSource and the Ball Frost Group. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. There is no doubt that California schools are facing the greatest challenges of our lifetime on multiple fronts. But where there's a challenge, there's also opportunity. In each episode of Schools on the Front Lines, I'm talking with leading superintendents and others from around the state about these challenges and how they hope to overcome them. In this, our fifth episode, I'm speaking with Superintendent Dr. Bob Nelson of the Fresno Unified School District. His caring for the students of his district is quickly evident to all those who interact with him or who follow him on social media, which he's embraced with gusto. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Carl. It's an honor to be with you today. You and I were both at a Hewlett Foundation convening of 10 California school districts last August. Each district was given an opportunity to brag about itself for a few minutes, and you picked up a ukulele and sang about Fresno Unified and its strengths. Tell our audience about that moment. You know, super proud to be Fresno Unified Superintendent. I was just bragging about some of the things that make Fresno great. When you say Fresno, people across the state of California do not automatically equate that to excellence. I don't know why. You're also sometimes called the Mr. Rogers of school superintendents. Tell us how that came about. I'm not sure where that moniker came, but I think that's actually really good company to be involved in, right? Honestly, if you're Absolutely. spoken in the same frame as Fred Rogers, I think maybe, Carl, one of the things, like I, my kind of mantra is this militant positivity thing, which is that I'm just going to stay positive. And it doesn't mean Pollyanna. It doesn't mean that I'm going to have like rose-colored glasses and not see the world for what it is. But militant positivity is about waking up tomorrow and just being really resilient. And it's interesting, right, in the COVID-19 era, there's never been a time where resiliency and positivity has been maybe more in need than it is right now. Fred Rogers was all about kindness, respect, and dealing straight with kids about really significant issues, right? That is a wonderful legacy. If I'm mentioned in the same breath in any way, shape, or form, I think I consider that to be maybe a compliment of the highest order. Positivity is something that's in short supply, and I think I would surround myself with people who have it with the interest of trying to, you know, have the growth mindset and the wherewithal to just keep persevering in a situation which just keeps getting increasingly difficult. Reading books on YouTube, uh, children's books to kids. Did you hear from some youngsters about that? Yeah, that was lovely. Actually, I I just kind of did that on a whim the first time I tried it. And then I, you know, did a second one. People really responded well. Then I put up a YouTube channel. And then I had a constant stream, Carl, of like parents sending me images of their kids <laughs> reacting to me reading literature, children's literature online. And that was it. I mean, at that point, I kind of put it on hiatus for the summer. But I think when we start and we will start remotely, that I'll go back to doing that. I think, you know, at the time we were not prepared for digital learning and our families were really scrambling and we left them in the lurch. You know, we asked them to be partners with us, but we didn't arm them with the tools to be successful, which is Wi-Fi access or the technology tools for the most part. We've moved a long way there. We put 60,000 devices on the street. But um Helping families just have a break every day, 15 minutes with somebody else reading to your kids who's safe and, you know, loves children. I think that's really, really good. And maybe that lent itself to the Mr. Rogers thing, too. I don't know. 
With all the switching gears, changes, new guidance going on with regard to reopening schools this fall, where is Fresno Unified today on reopening? So obviously we are on the county watch list commensurate with the governor. It was really hard. All of the major urbans, with the exception of Fresno Unified, had already made a public declaration of what their intent was prior to the governor's announcement. Once LA went and then uh, San Diego went and Long Beach went, people were like, okay, Fresno, you're on the clock. And I just kind of held because we had word that the governor was going to come over the top and make some mandates as it related to counties on the watch list. And I didn't want to get involved in any type of political theater around that where we're saying one thing and then having that undone. But right now we are beginning in a digital learning mode. Fresno County is still rapidly growing in terms of the total number of COVID-19 cases. If we have to get to 100 cases per 100,000, we are at a rate, you know, four to six times that right now. And it's not showing any signs of slowing. So we're trying to be straight up with our community and kind of get a sense of what that's about. It's interesting. A lot of people have made this a school issue. With all due respect, this is a community health issue. And it's going to take all of us to turn it and to get it right. So I'm trying to use my voice in that space with our community to be like, okay, if you really want your kids back, we got to do whatever it takes to get ourselves off of this watch list at the state level. And um, we want it to be school in every sense of the word, some synchronous and asynchronous learning so that people are with their teacher on a regular and ongoing basis. And three quarters of our folks want their kids back in school in some way, shape or form. Our staff wants that too. They obviously want that to be safe in every aspect of safety. I will say the one thing that's been super hard for superintendents is which guidelines are you following? Are you staying in collaboration with the county health department? Are you following the American Academy of Pediatrics? Are you following the CDC? And bottom line is I'm not gonna put kids in a situation where they're getting sick. And right now in Fresno, we haven't shown a lot of effort to be able to stem the tide. So we're starting fully digital and we'll reevaluate as you know, frequently as time as allows every two weeks. And we'll try to go public every week, giving our community an update. I mean, I think that's it. The best you can hope for is just to communicate with your public where you're at every day, all the time so that they know. Speaking of guidelines, Bob, the governor's guidelines apparently included a now famous footnote that opened the door to waivers for elementary schools. Will, will you take a look at that? Is that at all in your planning? There's a lot of contradictory, difficult situations there. Like People are like, well, why don't you open daycare? You need to make sure that you're providing daycare services for the workers um, and the families that are in your community. But it's a little bit of a conundrum for me. If you're opening daycare, why would you not be opening primary school? Right? I, mean, I have a hard time staying in that space and rationalizing why that would be allowed. At current, we're not trying to pursue waivers. We're really trying to maximize what our digital learning is going to look like. We're trying to streamline the process so that we can train families as to what they need to look for, where to go, what the interface looks like, how to get help. We've set up a hotline that's open now. All of the hours at schools are in session, so weekdays from roughly 8 to 5. With any type of help that they need from a Wi-Fi perspective, a device perspective, just in multiple languages, trying to help our community be as successful as, as we can. The hard thing is this COVID situation has put us in a situation where we're looking for people to blame and we're finding scapegoats for, you know, something that is out of our control because our locus of control is totally outside of ourselves. And I think we just need to resist that. We need to support labor, parents, community members, family members, internal people to be as successful as we can because uh, the strife that kind of is, is underpinning every aspect of our nation right now is making it really hard for kids to thrive and find success. And, and that's a trend we have to buck. And as leaders, we have to be intentional about trying to find unity in the space where, you know, things are really hard. 
Speaking of strife, districts up and down the state right now are negotiating on the issue of where distance learning will be delivered from. Will it be delivered from schools? Will it be delivered from teachers' homes? Where is Fresno on that issue right now? The key thing for me is can you do distance learning in a way that is uh, meets expectations is, and is regular, and can you do it in a way that you are regularly connecting with families and that that engagement level is high? Honestly, post-COVID, where you work from and how you work and the level of digital engagement in your workplace, I think that's the change that COVID brings to our world, right? I mean, it's just like the conversation you and I are having now, right? You're in Long Beach, I'm in Fresno, the people manning the booth are in Oakland, right? It's just a different world that we're living right now. And so I think the big issue for me is, are you going to teach it, take it seriously, right? Are you going to be regularly there? Are you going to be providing content? Are you going to grade that content timely? Are you going to communicate with your families, right? That's the big issue for me. I think where is maybe less of a concern. We do want to allow teachers to go back and to do that safely too. So making sure that our school sites are, you know, protected and safe in such a way that uh, our teachers can be back there without getting, you know, cross-contaminating one another. But so we want to try and accommodate that if we can. I picked up the LA Times over the weekend and there was a front page story about the emergence of something called learning pods as the new thing to enrich a youngster's education during the pandemic. Now I'm old enough to remember the 1950s science fiction classic Invasion of the Body Snatchers where pods were these extraterrestrial travelers who came and took over people's minds and emotions. So, so what are these learning pods? We'll try to avoid the Orwellian reality you just described. <laughs> like, I think connectivity is at an all-time low, so people connecting together in ways that are meaningful for their kids to try and make things work for them is really good. I do think, though, if I'm totally honest about it, learning pods have also emerged as kind of a strategy of privilege that well-resourced people who have people who are off and they're not working can leverage collective resources in a way that brings other people along. That worries me a little because we in Fresno have a lot of our folks. Honestly, we're the second most impoverished district nationally, the most impoverished in California. We're 90% free and reduced lunch. And 40 some odd percent of our families of four make a living wage of $25,000 or less annually. So those are brass tacks realities. And a lot of our folks are working families, right? That type of scenario does not allow itself to have a lot of additional resources to group into family pods to try and share the limited resources that people have. So one of the things we're talking about, Carl, is like, how do we leverage all the paraprofessionals that we have? You know, we have a cadre of people that are out there that are not going to be back on school sites. How do you leverage those folks to help you support primary instruction with small group instruction to make sure nobody gets left behind. So how has the conversation around racial injustice affected students and families there in the Valley? Honestly, I was very proud to say that of the major urban centers across the Valley, we were the only one early on that had a very robust protest without any degree of violence that accompanied that which we're very proud of, actually. And it's a testimony to the um, advocates who led that protest. The Valley is different. We are not the Bay Area. We are not Los Angeles Basin. Um, we're not Sac County. We're very, very different. Um, it's a little more um, gritty. It's a little more <laughs> people here are, are very, very pragmatic, I think. But people are realizing that right now. I mean, it was one thing when you had COVID, and then you had COVID plus economic collapse. And then with the murder of George Floyd, 
it launched us into a whole different conversation. The one thing that I'm really excited about, Superintendent Cohn, is that I think there's a door open now to have conversations around race and social justice that we have not had, at least in recent memory here. There's a recognition that the door is open and we have to do something with the opportunity that we have right now. In Fresno, we have an African-American networking group. It was about nine, 10 people. And then all of a sudden, all of this circumstance happened and they were like 150 people strong now. And they're really finding their voice and finding their feet and holding us accountable to that, which is good and fair and appropriate and right. Staffing patterns, how we respond to issues of adults in our system, engaging in racist behavior. We're talking about a new policy around ensuring everybody has cultural responsiveness. We have a policing contract. Obviously, that's at the forefront with the defund the police movement and whatnot. And our middle school policing officers are coming up for their contract renewal. And so we're trying to talk about what that is. And and we're looking at those proportionality results. Are we arresting our own black kids at a rate that's disproportional? And at current, we are. But the reality of it is you can't totally pin that on the police either. Because the vast majority of that discipline is being assigned by the school administrators who are saying, hey, go take care of that. So to just accuse the police of getting involved in something and not looking at the warts on your own face is not fair or appropriate either, right? So, but these are conversations, safe to say, we were not having in the depth and we were having them. And I opened an office of African-American academic acceleration because it seems like a lot of what we've done for black kids really is on the margins of instruction. It's about mentoring or it's about attendance. It's not about drilling down on the interaction between teachers and kids in the classroom and whether or not there's a disconnect there. So... We're finding that the solutions you find are at the local level, too. You're best off having conversations with the people with whom you live next door. And it's activated kids in our community, too, to make themselves heard. So that's good. I mean, I think we cannot waste the open door on this opportunity. So we're having conversations about race and social politics that we've not had in a long time in Fresno. Bob, you've worked in many leadership roles from classroom teacher all the way to superintendent. How has leading during this extraordinary crisis changed you as a leader? I mean, honestly, I'm very thankful to be kind of the Mr. Rogers of superintendents, but honestly, you can't be the Peter Pan of superintendents. And sometimes you got to grow up and you got to like lean forward into the wind. I don't like all the hateful rhetoric that's swirling around us as a nation, but I've learned to be a little more thick-skinned about it. You can't survive a superintendency if you don't have some degree of a thick skin, and you can't actually make decisions in leadership unless you expect to have your head caved in. You know, If everybody agrees with you, you got a problem because there's some people out there that you do not want agreeing with you. Right. But it's it's taken me a while to like realize that that doesn't necessarily reflect on who I am and my character as a person. I've learned to be very, very comfortable with ambiguity. I think you if you're not comfortable with ambiguity right now, this is a really, really hard time for you. If you're a very driven type A, check the box off leader, this is a nightmarish time. People have to cling to their own self-care. Like I get all kinds of grievance, even on the ukulele thing. Why would you be playing the ukulele? It's like. Nero fiddling and Rome is burning and what do you do? You're playing the dang ukulele. Like, <laughs> but the reality is right now, this swirling world in which we live in is dehumanizing us to the degree that we have to be very, very vigilant about staying human in this respect, right? I had a situation where people were just unmercifully going at me on social media and it bugged me and I just responded with kindness and I got my core back. And, and they, again, they responded to the kindness in an unkind way. And I just responded to kindness again, because in the end, like I have to be me on the last day in this job. Finally, 
Bob, I can't let you go without letting our listeners know that I actually visited Fresno last fall. And the highlight of the visit for me was going out to Roosevelt High School, where Grammy and Tony Award-winning Audra McDonald went to high school. And, and I know that you all had her back a while back. What was that like to welcome a Broadway star to the school where she went to high school? It was lovely. Obviously, we renamed the theater for her. I mean, I think she that's well-deserved and well-earned. She was a regular neighborhood kid who came through. And, you know, part of even the ukulele thing, for me, it was exceptionally important because you probably know, like, originally I got a scholarship to USC as a music student, right? That's how I got into college was music was my hook, right? The key thing is you're trying to find a hook for every kid. And Audra's thing was that she could sing and that she could act and that she was really talented. So she went to Roosevelt where we have a magnet for the performing arts and it propelled her to worldwide stardom. And it's just a good testimony that if you can find that hook for every child, you just cannot underestimate where they could go with that. Not to mention that as a human being, she's one of the most gracious, kind-hearted, and loving souls that is out there. I mean, she she has not been tainted or changed in any negative way by the acclaim that she has received. And so it's an honor for us to be affiliated with her. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join our listeners. It's really appreciated on this end. Good luck to you as the school year emerges. Sincere thanks. We appreciate you very much, Carl. Thank you for your leadership and supporting superintendents up and down the state and for just, you know, being the champion of California educational pursuits in every venue that you have. I mean, it's an honor to be with you. That's a huge honor for me. Thank you. That was Bob Nelson, superintendent of the Fresno Unified School District. Families in the Central Valley of California are fortunate to have leaders like him navigating these uncertain times for schools. Well, I think it's only appropriate that we end this episode with a song by the performing arts singers at Fresno's own Roosevelt High School where Broadway star and six-time Tony Award winner Audra McDonald went to high school. This has been Schools on the Front Lines, brought to you by Ed Source and the Ball Frost Group. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our opening theme is by Utah. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. Talk to you next week.